Hello and welcome to the It's Not Personal podcast, a podcast about making work more engaging, more fulfilling, and ultimately more human by taking the ego out of leadership. I am here with Ken Grady, a Fortune 500 CIO and business leader, as well as gentleman farmer and snappy dresser. And I'm here with Seth Rigoletti, my always friend and often collaborator and co-conspirator. Seth is an executive and communications coach who's worked with a number of different organizations and whose superpower is helping people understand the difference between what's being said and what's being heard. Hi, Ken. Welcome back. Oh, we're back. Seth. Always good to see you again. Yeah, I've been thinking about this one a lot since our last conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me, before we get into it, tell me how you're doing. You know, I'm doing really well. I mean, it's uh, I've been able to get out. My puppy is no longer a puppy. She's now a, a, a healthy one-and-a-half-year-old uh, St. Bernard puppy, by the way. And I know you've got a puppy as well, so it's yeah. kind of kinda nice that... I've been able to take her out on runs and walks and things. Yes. Although she's a saber dog, she doesn't run that far. She runs, she kind of lopes and then she decides to sit down. And she's big enough that when she does that, it's hard for me to move her. But, but otherwise, it's nice. Uh, it's good. It's been busy time at work, of course. But um, these conversations have been so invigorating, really. Yeah. I love I love having these conversations with you. And before like we go jump into the topic today, I you know we haven't actually addressed this. You had a transformation. I don't know if we talked about this. I don't total, think we Oh, total physical transformation. Yeah, COVID. Well, I mean, it wasn't caused for COVID, but during the COVID years, I did, I think, um, a couple of years ago. You know, so I, I mentioned a couple of times I was in the Army in yeah. my early youth, and, you know, they make you run a lot. And then I've gone through, since that time, I never like working out. I know you're a cyclist. You like to do some of that stuff. So. I'm hardly a cyclist, but go ahead. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, no, I... Um, well, here's what really happened. I mean, every year my doctor would tell me, you know, you're pretty healthy. You should lose 10 pounds. <laughs> and I was, right. I got determined uh, in my mid-40s. I was like, I'm gonna, I am gonna—I want a gold star. I want to not hear that again from my doctor or my physical. And then COVID happened. Well, I, number, well, let me back up. I bought a Peloton, you right. know, so I invested in the bike. And it's expensive, but, you know, I was like, maybe this will be the trick. Because I would go to the gym sometimes and I'd fall off the yeah. horse and, start running and I twist my ankle and like you just always had a reason and early days during COVID I was like a lot of folks in lockdown right we were all shut up shut-ins at home and the Peloton was there looking at me and I was cranky and (laughs) I got I was I really was I think I was borderline I certainly had some anxiety and anxiousness and I think I might have had a little borderline depression and uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think we all were. Yeah. No, we were all dealing with yeah. that. But um, I got on the Peloton and, and I started doing something every day. And so, yeah, I lost 40 pounds. That was kind of the thing. Jesus. Was over, wow. Of course, it was slow. Wow. But an incremental. But for me, the trick was consistency. And for people that understand, like, and, and by the way, if you, if you don't follow Ken Grady on Instagram, you ought to. <laughs> At Ken Grady, because what you'll see. I thought you were going to say LinkedIn because this is professional, but yeah. Well, LinkedIn too. I mean, LinkedIn is great, but like on his Instagram account, you get to see the food he eats. Yeah, mostly it's food. And and Ken Ken eats well. Like this, like like that thirty pounds came off hard. Yeah. I don't know what he did, but like he eats well. Well, I like real food. I like cooking a lot. I like curing. I raise my own pigs just so that I can cure my own prosciutto. Like I am dedicated to food. Like there's no question. I really enjoy tastes and I enjoy the act of sitting down 
preparing meals for others, sitting down with one another, yeah. breaking bread, sharing stories, you know, and just really good flavors. Um, so yeah, no, I do enjoy, I do enjoy. So that was, but thanks for, thanks for acknowledging. Oh, no, it's great. It's great. It's, mm. it's not, e it's not as easy as it once was to get in shape as the years go by. That's for sure. It's <laughs> that's, that's so true. <laughs> um, today we're, we're here to talk about psychological safety or you can say that here. You can say that here. You can say that here. Okay. Now I'll just say it like this. I was the one that came up with that piece. So let me just talk yeah. a little bit about what I mean by that. Yeah, please. Um, there's a uh, there's actually a scene in in the TV show Gemstones, which mm. is uh, just a goofy um, uh, spoof on what happens in big churches and, and all this. Mm. Stuff. It's on it's on HBO Max. But basically, there's a scene in there where the uh, one of the brothers is called a meeting of all the other brothers and like all their flunkies, and he's like, "This is a this is a safe." Safe space. I want you just to. We're just spitballing ideas. We're just. We're just. I want anyone just to shout out any idea you. Any idea you have, just shout it out. Just shout it out. No, it doesn't make any difference. No, no bad ideas. And some guy like raises his hand. Is like he gives some idea and he goes, "That is the stupidest, <laughs> dumbest idea I have ever heard." And everyone in the room starts ganging up on him. And it's just like just. And then it, and it immediately pivots to like, "No, no, no!" But anything, anything, anything you want to say, anything I just need to hear. And this is actually. I watched that and I turned to my son and I said. That actually happens. Oh my God! It that happens. Literally so often. happens in meetings. It's so often, you know. And this is so. There was no psychological safety in that. No psychological that safety. You cannot say that here. Well, I so I have a saying, and and follow along with it because this is related. But you know, I tell my team often. They know they hear this from me so much that they get sick of it. But I say, never waste a crisis. Like when something bad happens, what are we going to learn from it? Right. Right. Never waste a crisis because it's often that's when the organizations attention is focused on that thing that broke or system that went down or whatever, cybersecurity, you know, risk, blah, blah, blah. And, but the, the other important part, the unsaid part, the other side of the coin of never waste a crisis is you can tell me bad news. Yeah. Right, tell me bad news. I need to know the bad news. I need, I need the news. Bad news is just news. It's, you know, it's, it's information. And we can make better decisions from that. But that is the piece that I think organizations, and we, we talked about this in our team's discussion, right, where organizations don't like necessarily talking about how they make decisions because they don't like being called out, you know, on that they might be wrong. Delivering bad news or a bad idea might well, let's, let's cause actually, risk. Let's actually address, because yeah. there are probably leaders listening to this podcast, mm. people, managers who are like, you know... I hear bad news all the time, right? <laughs> if people are bringing me bad news. I, a friend of mine calls it the the dead mice. They're like, everyone wants to show me their dead mice. What, <laughs> I like them. What, what, what is it? What is the difference between what we're talking, what, what that is, which is just like uh, people bring in all their, you know, their, their troubles, their trash, their dirty mm. laundry versus this piece about give me the bad news. What, what's the difference between that? Yeah, I mean, I think that... There's a difference and, and goes a little bit back again to the team's discussion around norms and expectations. So, you know, I've had folks come with their dead mice. I love that metaphor. Um, but they're whining. They're complaining. They're, that person doesn't want to cooperate with me. That person doesn't, you know, didn't do their job. So now my job's harder. And I've actually said to folks on my team at times, I'm like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you just get it out for a minute. 
okay, but now I need you to tell me what you're going to do about it. Right. So you can pivot that when that happens, when you're like, okay, it's, it's okay. Because sometimes we need to vent. It's human nature. You need to vent a little bit. There's a healthy and constructive way to do it, of course. But then you pivot it to, okay, well, what's the information here? Right. This is the news part. Like, What's the data you're giving me? And how is that going to help us make a decision about whether we need to do something differently, something new, stop doing something? What's mm -hmm. the information here? This is such a good, okay, so let me back up. And let, I'm going to give you a little, I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Mm. this is, you, you know what? I have a secret weapon. I tell all your team, whenever there, and anyone on your team comes to me. And Say says, more about that. Oh. Says, says like, uh, I can't, how do I get Ken to hear this news? And they'll tell me what they're trying to tell you. And I'll say, every time you frame this up as a, as a problem, like a negative, you're making it 10 times harder for Ken to hear you. Mm. That, that he has a bias towards positivity, which isn't a problem. No, not a true. problem. It's just that you have a bias towards positivity. Like you, you, you don't want to hear how the boat's going to sink. You want to hear how the how we're going to get the boat repaired so we can go forward. Right. And when people come to you, and this is the default. This is so many of us. We have this default. We want to come with the dead mouse, with the bad news, to say, boss, there's a hole in the boat. We're sinking. And, you know, that requires... By the way, if, if I'm in your shoes, that person who's come to me to say that, that I'm, it's probably the tenth time, tenth different person to tell me that there's a hole in the boat <laughs> in the last thirty minutes, yeah. and like it's not new information and it's not right. helpful, right? 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 That's the piece. It's not helpful. So that's the that's where we try to pivot, and and I think this is this is at least this is the way that I've taken to make it safe. Like you can bring me the dead mouse, and you can tell me there's a hole in the boat. Okay, but well, that's that's the information is okay. So we have a risk to not being able to make it where we need to go. Right, so now let's make some decisions. Pivot this for decision making. Because just coming to me and throwing a dead mouse at my feet doesn't help. Doesn't help. It's it not help. It's not constructive. It, well, some, so this is, this is what's hard. Some people love that because it makes them feel like they're doing something important. So some leaders, mm. just, I'm, just, I'm just trying to be clear here that like we, we don't learn this from nothing, right? So, so just go back to school. Like one of the reasons why school is so, uh, our schooling, why it's so mind numbing sometimes is because we get taught that, it, it, I would almost say that some teachers, not all of them, but some teachers get excited when you make a mistake or get excited when something is wrong mm. because there's something to talk about, right? Like it's like, it's like you think that that's somehow like a way to engage with authority, a way to engage with adults. Let me tell you something that's wrong. Let me tell you something that I don't understand. Let me tell you something that's not. But it's not actually necessarily forward thinking. It's not necessarily helpful. You know, are we talking about the things that matter? Are we talking about the things that actually move us forward to understanding what's really going on? Well, I'll give you an example. Like organizationally, we, like a lot of organizations have an internal audit organization, mm -hmm. internal auditing. Right. And... Most people, in a lot of organizations, I'm going to stereotype here, but, you know, a lot of people just shudder or run the other way when they come knocking at your door because they're going to come check out your processes and, you know, see what you're doing wrong, right? And then there are those that go into that role, and, and I've worked with, you know, fortunately not where I am now, but that revel, oh, God, get giddy at, at, yeah. at the gotcha. Ah, I found a thing you did wrong. Yeah. Right? Ah, I want to, you know. 
write you up. And rather, you know, and now fortunately I have a partnership and I've worked on this and developed it with my audit team where I invite them in yeah. because they help provide really good information and I feel safe to expose my team's processes and workings because they know that I'm committed to improving. So Ken, again, we're coming back to that vulnerability yeah. piece. We're coming back to that place where you're willing to put your ego aside, right? You're not embarrassed by the idea that they're, matter of fact, you want them to tell mm. you what might be going wrong. Yeah. Right? I actually, sometimes I'll say, hey, could you come over here and look at my change control process? Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> I think we could do it better. And an objective pair of eyes in that case is often, you know, a key to doing it better faster. Yeah. But it does require, it does require being a little vulnerable or setting your ego aside as a leader and saying, I'm here, I'm willing to improve. I know that I don't have it all right. And I think this gets back to the core of the, how do you, as a leader, create that safety for your organization? Mm. You know, if I can demonstrably set my own ego to one side to say, I don't even think of it as setting my ego aside in this case, but just to say, I, I know that I'm not perfect. Like, let's just start with that premise. Well, just that alone. <laughs> just start with that, that premise. But that's setting your ego aside. Can we just say that that is, I know I'm not perfect as long as that's a real statement. It's a real, I mean, right? I think for all of us, if we're objective, if we're honest with ourselves, none of us are, right? We're, we're good at some yeah. things. We have I'm nodding. Yeah. Yeah. We have, we have good days. We have bad days for sure. But let's just start with that premise. Start with the fact that as a leader, as a person, as a father, as a team member, I'm not perfect. I'm going to screw things up. I have screwed things up. I will screw things up again. Okay. That, what you just said, that piece, mm. what do you mean by that? Wait, so you're saying that you're clumsy? You're saying that you don't Oh, yeah. Do you see me trying to dance? Yeah, I'm so really, uh, not graceful. Um, no, I, you know, despite my best intentions, you know, so number one, I'll always try and uh, lean in with my best intentions. And even then, I have to acknowledge, like, hey, there's some days I've got, I've got better intentions than others. Yeah, you know, maybe right. I've had more coffee that day. Right. But. Um, despite that, I will make decisions with a lack of complete or lack of perfect or lack of recent information. I will, you know, turn left when I should have turned right and, you know, et cetera. And I'm always okay mm -hmm. with being corrected on that, you know, with somebody, if somebody's got better information than I do. That, that piece right there, right? If, if you have better information, mm -hmm. I want to hear it. So you can say that here, right? You can say that. So there's a there's Amy Edmondson did the famous study about psych, she's the one who coined the term from mm -hmm. Harvard Business School about psychological safety and part of it she did when in her studies uh, in the in the 80s. So there was a point in, in 60s, 70s, and 80s. I don't know if you remember this, but like planes were crashing all the time. Mm. Like the planes were crashing all the time. <laughs> a lot more frequently, right? And they were crashing for weird reasons. Like they were crashing for uh, basically, so let's go, let's, let's start again, go all the way back to the 1940s during World War II. Uh, bombers were crashing all the time. Mm. And, they, and they kept saying pilot error, pilot error. That was the reason why it crashed. And what they found in that one, when those planes were crashing, this one, I can't remember his name, but this one guy, it's from the book User Friendly, this one guy uh, went in and rather than study the plane crash, he said, show me a plane. Show me one of the bombers. Mm. And he went in one of the bombers in the cockpit, and what he noticed right away was that the wing flaps and the landing gear, the handles look exactly the same, mm. the levers look exactly the same, and they were right next to each other. 
And he was like, well, that's a, that's a problem. <laughs> and then he went into a couple other plans that had been manufactured in a different factory. And he noticed that in the other factories, they, they looked exactly the same, but they were reverse. Uh, so if you got in a different plane, right, you'd think that you knew yeah. which one was which, but yeah. then it turned out it was different. Yeah. All right, so that, he, was, he, wanted to mean, he wanted to design away the possibility of that kind of error, right? Because he wanted people to figure out how do you make mistakes that are actually productive mistakes? How do you do that? And so Amy, em sorry, I'm talking a long time. Amy Emmonson had this thing where she was looking at um, black boxes tapes. Mm -hmm. What do pilots and co-pilots say to each other when, right before they crash? And what she found was that inevitably what was happening, because they had figured out the design piece, the flashing buttons and all that stuff tells mm -hmm. you what's going wrong. She found that the co-pilots were oftentimes trying to get the pilot's attention mm. to say, hey, this doesn't look right. Mm. But they were afraid to correct the pilot's assumptions. So uh, they were de-icing the plane. The weather was not bad. The co-pilot had more experience mm. flying in bad weather and wanted to, was trying to say, this is not a good place to take mm. off. This is not a good time to take off. We need to call it. But the pilot was, who had less experience was operating off of what the assumption that he had that he was fine. Yeah, I mean, it goes, it, 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 to me, it takes me back to our conversation that last episode when we were talking about, you know, if you're a part of the band, you're equally accountable, no matter what instrument you play, mm -hmm. for the success of the performance, mm -hmm. for the success of the band. Um, and this is something that I think, you know, as leaders, this is something that we can't emphasize enough to everyone in the organization is that we all are equally accountable. How do you do that? How do you create the space that's safe enough for the drummer to say to the trump trumpet player, you're off beat? Well, I had one example. I had a, I had a member of my team. Uh, she was didn't report to me. She reported to somebody that reported to me. And so a couple levels down, but she, wow, we were doing some project or something, and she said, Ken, I see what you're trying to do. It's not working. And she said, I think that, you know, the, the stakeholders you're trying to influence here, they don't speak this language. Mm. So you need to use their language if you want to influence them to move this way, mm. like getting into the specifics. And I said, oh, my God, you're right. Yeah. And it was a moment where I actually celebrated her. Yeah. And celebrate publicly where I said, you know, thanks to Tracy for yeah. sharing this with me because I there I was like beating my head against the wall and not understanding why I wasn't making progress. But I shared that openly. I shared that because I wanted others to say, hey, if you see me headed in the wrong direction, right. if you see that the plane is doing something bad, I need you. I don't want you. I need you. I do want you to to correct me in that moment. And just telling people, this is the thing, is you, you ask, how do you create the space? You tell people that this is what your expectation is. And you create the culture. Right? And you create the culture. And, and then, then you, you don't do what that guy does, which is, you know, tell me any, any, any idea, any idea, and then yell at them for Yeah, them. right. So the, don't do that. The, the part of the reason when I, when I was saying that planes used to crash all the time and they don't crash as much anymore, part of the reason is because of this. They've really worked on this. Mm -hmm. You know, the communication in, inside the cockpit, the communication with the towers, they've really worked on being more direct, being more clear. And what you describe right there is not only is it okay for her 
you didn't just say like, okay, I'll let that pass. Thanks, right. you know, thanks for it. You celebrated her. Yeah, well, let me tell you how this this played out in a way that it really benefited because we had created that culture during COVID when we didn't know what was happening. Like right. I, I, you know, for all the leaders or all the aspiring leaders listening, if one of y'all got the copy of how to manage through a global pandemic that was meant for me, I wish you'd send it to me because I didn't get my copy. Right? Like there was no playbook. We were all literally learning and making it up and figuring it out on our own and making decisions and going back and asking ourselves, was that the right decision? You know, and, and one thing I went out of my way to, to share with the team as we did that is, okay, for the next 30 days, we're going to try this whatever it was mm. for my work, you know, and then we get 30 days in and say, okay, we're still doing that. Like, let's see if what else we need to do. Like, is this going to work? And we're going to assess. And if you need something else that we don't already have in order to be successful, I need you to raise your hand because we don't know what we're doing mm. and we don't know, you know, how, what, how this is going to go. And rather than you can see like some organizations or some folks might say, wait, my leaders just said, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Like that could, is that going to take away confidence? Yeah. It actually had the opposite effect. Yeah. It actually had the effect of creating the patience, the grace, the space, the support for one another. When I said, we don't, this is why we're going to try and do A, B, and C. We don't know if it's going to work. We're going to assess and I want your feedback. So, so Ken, you have something, I mean, let's, let's go a little deeper here. You have something that I think is is very important for other leaders to cultivate within themselves. Now, it's not, some people are born with this and some people have to work at it. So you have to maybe share a little bit about how you got to this place. You, you're actually okay with failing you, to a certain level. You're, you're, not, you're, you're a competitive person, like you wanna do well, but you have like a, a genuine sort of willingness to try, like you didn't come up here as a farmer <laughs> right? You just said, like, I think I'm going to try this out. I'm going to try, try pigs. I'm going to try pigs. And like, How hard could it be? How hard could it be? <laughs> it started with a free freezer off of Craigslist, actually, and then I had to fill it. No, so but, anyway. th see, see, <laughs> but I just want to say out loud that, like, for most people, for most of us, myself included, like, it's, it, it is very difficult to try new things if you don't know that you're going to be successful. Oh, I have so much to say about this. So, number one, I want to correct. Not correct, because this is a safe space. You can say that here. But I want to I wanna nuance what you said a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's all right. You can uh, it. I actually have a very low tolerance for failure. I have a very high tolerance for mistakes. And I think of those two things as different. Mm. Failure is giving up, generally. Failure is, you know, I have a, a goal, and I'm going to walk away from that goal. Mistakes are when I try something with the best information mm. or ability that I have at the time, and it might or might not work, but so I differentiate those two things. And, I, and I, I actually make that point again with my team. And I say, I have a high tolerance for mistakes. I have a low tolerance for failure. I'm going to help you succeed. Mm -hmm. We can make mistakes along the way. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing, and I, you, I think I mentioned it before, but I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. And on her, one of her podcasts, Unlocking Us, she talks about FFTs. And for our listeners, okay, this is the explicit version is, let's we'll just say freaking first times. Um, and the importance of actually admitting to yourself, naming it, when you're doing something for the first time, 
and we all do this in our roles and leadership in a new organization, you're in a new situation, that it's probably going to be uncomfortable mm. in some way. You're going to be unsure. You're going to be uncertain. And if you can remind yourself, as Brene says, so you can remind yourself, oh, yeah, wait, no, this is my first time. It's supposed to be this way. Yeah. Then you just have a lot more, I have a lot more patience with myself right. when I'm in that moment. And that's right. where that comes from. It's like, I can try something. I can try something new. And and if I don't succeed, I'll probably learn something along mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll learn I don't want to do that thing. Um, but that's where that comes from. Is and I think And I think that this is, as leaders as well, again, I think this is, too often unsaid. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think that, you know, you, you step into the C-suite and you think that, well, they don't must know what they're doing. I mean, because they're C-suite right. leaders, they're executives, right? right? And they're there because they have experience. They're mm-hmm. there because they have uh, some domain expertise, some unique att- attributes. Some, Absolutely. Sometimes they're just there because they were there, you know, when, sometimes the, when the music stopped, they were sometimes. still on chair. Like it's, but you know, back to COVID, nobody, nobody yeah. had a pandemic playbook. And we were all looking at each other and working through the information the best we got it and making decisions and unmaking those decisions and remaking new decisions as we went. And the reality is, <laughs> COVID or not, that's often the case Yeah. as a leader. And I just think that um, acknowledging it out loud in front of your organization, in front of your team, is one of the ways that you can create that safety because you're saying, yeah. I'm figuring this out too. Yeah, there's a, there's a, that's good. And I like that. And, and you know, I... I think that making the distinction with your team about mistakes versus failure being an, failure being an endpoint, like mm. mistakes being something that can can happen along the way. Mm. You know, I think that's 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 a good distinction. I, I'm I'm sort of thinking about how um, this I oh, I'm gonna say this this idea of what does it take for me to trust myself? What does it take for me to be okay mm. with those mistakes? What does it take for me to be honest with you as my boss when I think you're making a mistake or when I think that we're making a mistake? Well, I'll give you a different example, a, a very similar example. You know, I mentioned one woman that corrected me or gave me feedback and said, you're not, you're not going to be successful this way. I had another similar level uh, manager with my extended team who wanted to take a program in a different direction. And he told me, he's like, I'm going to go in this direction. And I told him, no. And now this is, this is the interesting, because I actually was, no, I'm not going to let you do that. But then what I did was I said, and here's why. Because I think that if we went in that direction, you know, without getting into the specifics again, I said we would be missing the stakeholders. We would have this unintended second-order consequence. We would, but I took the moment to explain. So back to transparency and decision-making. And he said, oh, Okay. Yes. He didn't think like like I was overruling him. It's right. like, oh, I, you had context I didn't have. So that's actually a good that's a good thing to bring in this this conversation is that psychological safety does not mean everyone gets to do everything. Exactly. Right. It does not mean that. So yeah. So the the term gets lost sometimes because we think of safety as like coddling, hmm. but it's actually not about coddling. It's right. about knowing that you can make mistakes and you're not going to get penalized or punished for 
having just honestly not understood or not seen. And you also know that you can correct each other. Mm. And you could say, hey, I don't know if you see this. I don't know if you notice this. I have, I have knowledge you may, you may need. That, that That's okay. You can do that, and you're not going to get yelled at. Yeah, well, in public or in private. And I think this is a piece, too, for psychological safety, to, for you really to create this within the culture. One of the things I think is really important is authenticity. I think, you know, my my team knows that I, I'm going to act the same whether they're there or not. Right, right. And I'm not going to go off and, like, you know, have a conversation about them. So there's a, a, a trust in... Um, conversations we have being appropriate, being, you know, whether they're confidential, et cetera. So you've got to, I mean, those are all table stakes, but I think they're important to name um, in creating safety. Because if there's, if there's, because the opposite of the psychologically safe organization is the toxic organization. Yeah. And the difference, by the way, just so we, just so we're all clear, like you can go from psychological, psychologically safe to toxic pretty quickly. Yeah. Right. It doesn't yeah. take much. Yeah. Right. So, so the, the, you know, the, the idea is to constantly be intentional about this. You're not, you don't have like a win and then you just say, okay, we're good. We're there. We have to actually work at it. And there's a piece in there too, Ken, that I just, I want to, I want to explore like this. There is something about telling someone, here's a problem. Here's a parameter. Go solve it. Mm -hmm. Go solve it. I am not, I have in my own head about how I think this should be done, but I'm actually not going to like put that on you. Yeah. I want you just to go figure it out. Yeah. And I think, you know, this is really important as you rise in your leadership career and as your team might scale, um, as you have more people, you can't be solving everybody's problem. You don't want, they don't want you to, number one. You don't have the time. You don't scale as a leader doing that. Mm -hmm. And so this gets to, I hired you for a reason or you're in your role for a reason. I trust you. Um, here is the box that we need to address. Go address it. Tell me what help you need. And this is one of the best, I think, tools too for this. Mm -hmm. Tell me what help you need. Oh, I've worked with so many leaders that forget to say that. Like, just tell me what help you need. Because it's yeah. like it's permission to say, oh, you know what? Because what can happen is you say, here's the problem we need to go solve. I trust you to go solve it. Go. Is they might be overwhelmed. They might not have some of the context. They might be missing a component. And if you've forgotten to say, tell me what help you need or give them some kind of permission to come ask you for more input, they may be afraid to come back with an incomplete answer. Oh, it's such a it's such an interesting tension because it like is. because we don't we also don't want them to come back every five minutes and right. say like, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Right. I'm thinking about doing that and writing that email. What do you think? And then, you know, that's going to make you, or at least whatever leader it is, going to make you uncomfortable because now you're like, now you're invested in the details. And, and as soon as you ask me how, yeah. like I'm thinking about doing this, I'm going to have, I'm going to have an opinion. I'm I will like, have an opinion. Right. And, and, <laughs> and then it's very hard to, at that moment, step back and be like, yeah, I'm not going to share with you my opinion because now I'm worried that you're not going to do it. So the, 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 this is a, um, I'm going to try to say it. There's like a, there's a, a give and take here mm. to create psychological safety within an organization, within a team, within a group. We have to be okay with conflict. 
We have to be okay with saying no. We have to be okay with the idea that um, I might not be the reason why this thing happens, mm. right? And we have to be okay with the idea that you might have information that I need. Yeah, that question about, you know, you might have information that I need. The best interview question I ever got asked. Uh, previous organization, CEO uh, was interviewing me. And he liked to do a walking interview. That was fun. Um, I wasn't in as good a shape then. Um, so I was out of breath. But he said, he, we, we were talking and, you know, I was going to be joining his executive team. And he asked me, he said, what will you do when I say no? That was a great question. I said, mm -hmm. well, you know, what, in what context? He's like, you have an idea, you have a proposal, you have an investment. And what if I say no? And I said, well, I'll ask you why. And because I'm going to assume that you have context I don't. You know, maybe there's something in your thinking that I'm not aware of, that you're thinking of another investment, and, and it would be helpful if you could explain. Back to this transparency. Mm. And, or I might think I have information you don't. Right. Those two things. Those two things can, I, if, if leaders who listen to this podcast could just pay attention to those two things, mm. It would it would change. I'm telling you, as 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 it would put me out of work, basically, because <laughs> because the the first question you asked, the first what's what's important about the first question is that you actually recognize that this person might have a perspective that you don't have mm. on the whole organization. So there might be a reason. Yeah. Right. The second. So it's not personal. It's not personal. I'm not saying no to you. It might be saying yes to some other thing else. Right. That, like, and the second one is. You are acknowledging that you might have a perspective, right. right, down in the trenches that this leader might not have. Right. And it means, it might mean, as I went on to talk to him about that, I said it might mean that I haven't done a sufficient job yeah. of explaining that perspective or providing that additional information that would help you make a different decision. Or this is an opportunity for you to share with me, if you can, through additional context so that I understand and apply my energy in the right things. And I went in, I went on, I got the job. So that was good. I guess that was the right answer. But yeah. it really, I think that that is, you said it, it's not personal. It's not about ego. Every person you work with in your organization that you lead, that you work alongside of, that you report to, is going to bring their own perspective and experience. And if you can start from a place where you expect to acknowledge it and support it, and that you're going to share your perspective as well, oh, I think you're 90% of the way towards psychological safety. Yeah, I think that's right. And being open. Being open. And, and, and you, you used to say this a lot. You used to say, um, and it's from that professor at Stanford, the, the uh, have strong opinions but held loosely. Yes. Right? That idea that, that I want you to have to be clear about the things you believe to be important. Mm. I want you to be clear about what matters to you. And I want you to state those things strongly. But I also don't want you to become so committed to them that they sink us to the bottom of the ocean. Like we gotta like, you know, yes, this thing might be true and this thing might be valuable, but you know, that gold brick isn't gonna help you swim, right. you know, when you're out in the middle of the ocean. Like we gotta figure out what to let go of at some point. Yeah, the best leaders I've ever worked with really embodied that. Yeah. They had strong opinions, they had a strong perspective and point of view, but the moment that they had new information that contradicted their assumptions or beliefs, they were able to, to lean into that new direction. Mm. 
um, and bring folks with them. What's challenging about that, what's difficult for leaders is when you state a strong opinion, or, you know, I have this, I have this firm perspective, I have this uh, strong perspective, it can shut conversations down. Totally. Right. Because if you're working in an organization, particularly one where you haven't established this safety to speak up, then people might be afraid to contradict you because they don't know how you're going to react. Yeah. You know, and so this is why it's so important to have established this kind of speak up, you know, safety culture, because as a leader, I guarantee you, you won't have all the information. And you're reliant on the people around you to fill in the gaps. So, th- so, so, just to kind of go back to this part I was saying about you know you you personally and and people who like you are able to acknowledge mistakes or able to see learning as a part of the process. You know, learning beginner mind mindsets, mm. right? You know, one of the things that happens in that moment is is you have to be willing. To recognize that your leadership abilities, your excellence as a leader, is not connected to you knowing the answer all the time. Yeah. That's a big, I just want to say, like, that's a big thing. Like, when I, when I work with leaders, it, it, the, the, the hardest ones to coach in this way, in this particular way. And, they, and I've worked with some of the nicest people. Mm. But when you are very, very smart, this is a hard thing to learn. Because you do actually, you you are sometimes, almost all the times, there's some of these people I'm thinking about, they are the smartest person in the room, mm. always, mm. right? And so you get you can get in your head that like you are, every single problem that's brought to you, you're supposed to have an answer. Well, I think it's also reinforced through like early leadership. And I think we've touched on this before, but as you get promoted, you know, generally your first job as a manager you're probably leading a team of people that did the thing that you were doing a minute ago. Mm. Um, so you were the best system administrator. You were the best architect. You were the best whatever. And so you got promoted, right? And now you're leading a team of people doing that. And the reality is you probably do know the answers and can step in and do the job of any person on your team. And that's true for a while. And then as you grow, you take the next step or you spend more of your time managing people uh, and doing, you know, kind of development coaching and, you know, support and, and the other kind of administrator that comes along with it, you get further away from it and you're actually going to become less and less of a deep expertise and you're going to become more of an, I mean, your, your expertise shifts. You become more of an organizational leader, mm. a leadership expert. I think people forget that that's a thing. So or it's easy to not say that to name that is part of the development but i think that's part of it is like you're you might have used been used to being the person with all the answers and at some point in your career you have to acknowledge you're not that person anymore and you're not that person anymore at the same time that you've become a senior leader which is sort of not contradictory but that's the tension well i think i think what i'm yes and what i'm getting at is i think the hardest thing is when you when you're the senior leader and you can still be that person. Mm. That's where it's the hardest. That's really and tough. Because because you know, you do have to to get to that senior leader position for most of us, we have to let go of that idea. Mm. Like I'm not actually going to go down there and code that. You right. know, I'm, that's not that's not I'm not the best person to do that. <laughs> but it's a problem if you actually are. Yeah. Right? Because you have to your success is going to be dependent on that team, that group being feeling empowered. 
feeling like they can do it, right? And if they think that you can do it better, you know what they will do? Just let you do it. They'll, they will fail yeah. so that, that you can do it. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, you, if your tendency is to just lean in or push, and I've seen this so many times when some people, or it's just faster for me to do it. Yeah. Oh, but your job but, is but to is actually, it right? Is it really? I mean, you have other things to do. Number yeah. one, number two, a big part of your responsibility is to actually groom and grow the team, right, and help them develop those same skills. And they can't do that if you do it for them, right? Yeah. In that case, and it can be, it just can be really tough. That whole, it's just faster if I. I think we've all been guilty of saying that. It's oh, like God, it's like it, when I was directing. The hardest part about directing for me, because I was also an actor, the hardest part was. I knew exactly what I wanted to see happening on stage, mm -hmm. and I knew that the person could do it, and I couldn't get them there fast enough. And so the, the, when I was really being indulgent, self-indulgent, mm -hmm. I would get up on stage and show them what I wanted them to do, which is a big no-no in the mm -hmm. theater world. I would just do it. Well, I, I appreciate that you named that as self-indulgent. Oh, so self-indulgent. Um, like, it know, felt so good to do it. Right? <laughs> See? See, this is what I meant. And they would all be like, oh. But then, you know, I'm the best actor on the stage then. Not that I actually am, but like, I, you know, I'm just doing the thing that I had in my head. And now they've got to do the thing I did. Right. And what you did in that moment was a couple of things. One was you told them to imitate you right. rather than right. leveraging their own skills. Right. You just wanted them to do it just like you would. Right. And what that does is, the second thing that it does is it sort of erodes their own confidence. Right. right? Their, like you said, they'll just fail and let you do it. Right. So it erodes their confidence. And if you're eroding confidence, again, you're not creating psychological safety. You're not right. creating an organization that's growth-minded. Right. You're creating an organization that's afraid. There you go. And that's that's where the tension, that's where the fragility mm. comes into play. So the, you know, the real payoff of a psychologically safe environment is a robust and resilient, courageous group of people mm -hmm. where they are, they are not afraid to make mistakes. They're not afraid to be excellent. They're not afraid to be better than you. Yeah. And they're not in competition with you. Yeah. Right? They're not afraid to tell me when I'm making mistakes. Exactly. Right? Because they're not because we're not in competition with we're one another. We're not in competition with one another. And that is really, I think, one of the biggest pieces. And this is where back to the the original thesis theme of it's not personal. We're not in competition with one another in the workplace. It's not about us. It's not about us. We're here to actually help one another achieve a goal. Yeah. Right? And help one another grow. And when we do these things, when we do these things, Ken, all these things that we talked about, all these 12 different podcasts that we've put together, when we do these things, we create an environment where people get to be themselves. So it's like this, uh, this paradox, right? Yeah. Like it's not about us. It's not personal. It's not about your ego. But you know, when you do all these things, you make all this space, you set all this stuff aside, you let people be who they are. You let them express themselves and their excellence. You let them make mistakes, right? You, you, you take away the, all the ways in which we undermine ourselves and you give them the power to have a voice in, the, in mm. that setting. You do those things and people are going to feel more engaged, more, uh, more empowered, and they're going to feel like they can express themselves. They can yeah, express and themselves. ultimately you're going to create an organization that is more productive right. 
that is more enjoyable, right. that is more rewarding for you and the other individuals that are adding their voices to the story, to right. the goal that you're trying to achieve. Right. And it is, you said it more than once in our conversations, but it seems like common sense. Yeah. And yet it's so hard because we as people, and all leaders are people, last I checked, you know, our egos get in the way and they can block out the ability. They can, they can make us afraid of making a mistake, of being seen as a, uh, you know, being seen as, as doing something silly, uh, of failing to meet the expectations of our teams. And the reality is it's the other way around. It's those, that's once you take that, that stuff aside, then you open up, you create the possibility to meet the expectations of your team and to help them grow and yourself at the same time. Mm, it's great. It's great, Ken. Thank you so much. Thanks, Seth. This, again. This, this has is, been fun. This has been great. Great discussions. Hopefully we'll have more in the future. I know. It'd be nice if, uh, you know, if you are listening to this and you want to take the time to write comments, you want to take the time to pet, share it around, we'd love to, to hear from you. I'm uh, on Instagram and LinkedIn at Seth Rigoletti, Ken at uh, Ken Grady. At, uh, yeah, at Grady Ken on Twitter, at Ken Grady on LinkedIn, I think. I'm on Instagram, all the socials. Follow us wherever you are. And uh, check out the website, leave comments, let us know what you think. Yeah, thanks so much, Ken. Thanks, Seth.